But as you're turning there, um, I'm going to ask you a question that I'm pretty sure I already know the answer to. How many of y'all are familiar with the, the, the fairy tale of Goldilocks and the Three Bears? Y'all already, y'all already know this, right? So you got this little girl, Goldilocks. She's walking through the woods. Lord knows why she's walking through the woods. And she comes on this house, and she goes in, and uh, she, she finds... Uh, three bowls of, of porridge sitting on the table. And so she sits down at the first bowl of porridge and she tastes it and it's too hot. So that's not good. So she sits down, she goes to the next bowl and it's too cold. So that's not good. So she sits down at the third bowl and what's the third bowl? Just right. So everybody knows that. That's and We're not going to tell the rest of the story because you all know what happens. You know, the three, three bears come home and then it's, it's all scary and everything. Well, anyway... We know that story, and we always get to the third bowl, and it's not too hot, it's not too cold, it's just right. And everybody always says it the same way, right? It's never just just right, it's always just right. Well, if you look in your bulletin, you'll see that our sermon is is named not too hot, not too cold, just right. That's technically a typo. It's not not too hot, not too cold, just right. It's not too hot, not too cold, not just right. Uh, there are some things, you know, that we, we say moderation is good. You know, that, that a lot of folks say, you know, all things in moderation. I don't agree. But we generally think of moderation as a good thing. Um, that, you know, some things are really, you, some things are really bad hot, really bad cold, but you want that middle. You want it just right. But that's not true about everything, is it? How many of y'all like your, your coffee hot? Okay. Anybody in here like iced coffee? There's a few hands in there. Okay. How many of y'all like coffee that has been sitting on the counter for like four hours? The, the coffee pot has been turned off and it's just kind of, it's about room temperature. Anybody like room temperature coffee? Anything like that? How about, how about those of y'all who like hot Hot like pie, like Miss Nelda makes her chocolate stuff when she brings it stuff. You're like, yes, all y'all hands. Miss Nelda's chocolate stuff. Anybody like that hot? Yes. How many of y'all like ice cream? Anybody? Yes. How many of y'all like room temperature ice cream? Also known as milk. <laughs> Anybody? It's not ice cream anymore, is it? That you like certain desserts when they're really hot, and you like certain desserts when they're really cold. But somehow or another, if you move them to that middle ground, it's just nasty, isn't it? There are some things that when you get them at room temperature, when you get them in moderation, quote unquote, it's just nasty. You don't like it. It's not good. It's not meant to be enjoyed that way. Do you know that Jesus feels the same way about his churches? That Jesus would rather a church be hot and healing or cold and refreshing. But when you at church and you are in the middle and there's just there's not much going for you. Jesus actually, well, I will let Jesus speak for himself. If you'll stand out of respect for the reading of God's word, we're going to start in Revelation chapter 3 verse 14 and go all the way down through the end of the chapter. <clears throat> now, if let me go ahead and tell you, if this sounds rough, remember... Am I saying it? No. This is Jesus. He says, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works. 
that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that you would help guide us as a church not to be lukewarm. Point out in us what needs to change and encourage us where we're strong. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. That's scary words from Jesus, isn't it? So, Pastor, why you got to talk about vomit in church? I didn't. Jesus did. Um, lukewarm church, the church at Laodicea. Um, lukewarm is not good, obviously, when Jesus starts talking. So, I want us to look at three, I guess, qualities of lukewarm Christianity today. And this is a fascinating letter to me. And I've been excited to prep this sermon and look at it because it actually turns out that there is a better explanation for this passage than the the way I have been reading it for the majority of my life. And I feel like it's very helpful. So let's go ahead and just go ahead and dive in. Uh, First, I want us to see that lukewarm Christianity is unpleasant. Uh, uh, Not just to Jesus... But y'all, frankly, lukewarm Christianity is unpleasant to everybody who comes into contact with it. Um, It's not just unpleasant to Jesus, it's unpleasant to everyone else. Listen to what Jesus says to the angel or the pastor of the church of the Laodiceans, right? These things says, now Jesus introduces himself using three titles. Now he's introduced himself differently in every letter thus far in the book of Revelation. In this one, he says he is the Amen. You know, what, what in the world is the amen? Isn't the amen just something we say at the end of when we pray? Uh, you know, my daughter knows one word when she prays. You know, she just sits there, does this, and looks at me and mommy. And when we're done, she gets really excited and says, amen. That's the only thing she knows how to do. She knows it's the word at the end of the prayer. Well, it actually has a meaning. It, it means, if you were to convert it to a sentence, you could almost say amen means let it be. Um, that it's agreement, that I, I, I want this to be valid, I believe this to be true, that this is true, this is confirmed. So when Jesus introduces himself as the Amen, this is a way, another way of saying the next title he uses, the faithful and true witness, that everything about Jesus, which is important that he's introducing himself this way because he's saying, if I say it, you can trust it. If I say it, you can believe it. That just by virtue of his identity as the Christ, if Jesus says it, you can take it to the bank. That it's reliable, it's genuine, it's true. You don't need a second opinion. There is not a court of appeal. He is the amen. He is the faithful and true witness. 
And then I want to spend an extra minute or two where Jesus says the very, the very next phrase, the beginning of the creation of God. That does not mean that Jesus was the first thing that God created. That means that Jesus is the source of creation. He is creation's beginning. That word in Greek is the word arche. It doesn't just mean the beginning. It also means the ruler, the chief, the one over, the one in charge. So not only is he reliable, is he true, is he faithful, he is also the boss. That his word is authoritative, not just because it is factually true, but also because I have the right to say about my creation what I want to say about it. There is no court of opinion. There's no second opinion. Have y'all ever been to a doctor and he says something about you and you're like, I don't know. I don't know if I trust that. I want to go to another doctor. You don't do that with Jesus. You don't get to say, oh, well, I don't like what you have to say. I'm going to go to another God. There's a problem with that. There's not another one. So you can't do that. That's the way Jesus introduces himself. In other words, hey, Laodicea, put your big boy pants on, put your big girl pants on, buckle up, because I've got some stuff to tell you, and you need to understand that I wouldn't be saying it to you if I didn't need to say it. And there's not anybody to go and get a second opinion in case you think I'm wrong. This is Jesus saying, brace yourself. (laughs) It's about to get ugly. So, also, the beginning of the creation of God. How many of y'all were at uh, vacation Bible school last year? Y'all served here? It's so convenient that God just set this up this way. Because Susan, guess what I brought as a prop today? This was our our leader shirts from vacation, and I don't normally use props. But this was our vacation Bible school church last year that says, All things were created by him and for him. Uh, And it's from Colossians 1.16. Now, why in the world did I bring this shirt as a prop today? Well, because the phrase, the beginning of creation, is actually a throwback to chapter 1 of Colossians. That's where that phrase is from. Laodicea and Colossae were very close to each other in proximity. They would have known each other. And in fact, when Jesus is quoting Colossians to them in this letter, he is expecting the book of Colossians to be something they're familiar with. How do I know? Because the Bible told me. Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. This is not on your handout. This is just so you can see what I'm, I'm, I'm saying. Listen to what Paul said when he wrote Colossians. He said, Colossians 2, verse 1. I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Colossians four sixteen. Now when this epistle, Colossians is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans. And that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Well, where is Laodicean letter? Why isn't it in our Bible? Here's my big 50 cent theological answer. I don't know. Paul wrote one to them that apparently was read in Colossae, and we know that he wrote one to Colossae that was read in Laodicea because we have Colossians. And the book of Colossians is a book of contrasts that if you go through the book, Paul says, don't be like this, be like this. 
Don't be caught up in this. Be caught up in this. Be here, not here. Be hot, not cold. Be right, not wrong. Be spiritual, not philosophical. Be spiritual, not carnal. Be faithful, not unfaithful. That it was this constant back and forth of two extremes. That he said there's a way you ought to live and it ought to have these results. This letter had been read to Laodicea. And when Jesus says, I'm the beginning of creation, the the ruler of creation, the the first over creation, he is drawing their mind back to this book of Colossians and saying, okay, let's revisit what I assigned you as reading years ago. This is probably 30 or 40 years after they heard the book of Colossians. Now, I want you to imagine that Jesus had actually inspired a piece of Scripture that said, I intend this to be read specifically in Stapleton Baptist Church. Wouldn't we probably have a copy of that somewhere here? We would probably have it posted on our walls everywhere we could so that when our folks walked around, we could say, yeah, this was specifically from Jesus to us. We would probably pay extra special attention to that, right? So 30 or 40 years, you would expect the Laodiceans to still remember Jesus had this to say to us. Problem is, they didn't. They didn't pay attention. How do I know this? That this is what Jesus says. I know your works. That you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. How many of y'all want Jesus to vomit you out of his mouth as a church? As an individual? Anybody? No. Let's talk about cold and hot here. The way that I read this book for years, which I am convinced is no longer the correct way to read it, is you think of the hot Christians as the good ones, that they're on fire for Jesus. We even use that phrase, right? That, man, I'm on fire for Jesus. That my faith is on fire. I'm so serious about it. I'm out. I'm sharing the gospel. Man, I'll roll down my window at the stoplight, and I'll share the gospel with the person in the car next to me. They can't even hear me through the window. That, that kind of faith. And then there's the cold Christians that... They're in church and, you know, they're, they're the ones that are going, it is well with my soul. Is he done preaching yet? I'm hungry. And, the, and that's kind of their faith. They're the cold Christians. They don't care anything about sharing, sharing your faith. It, it, it's not even on your radar. The last time you prayed was your last meal. That We think of that as your, your cold Christians. So hot Christians over here, cold Christians over here. But if you read it that way, it's confusing because Jesus says, I would rather you be unbelievers if that's what it means. And I even had a commentary that said that. That Jesus is saying, man, this is so extreme that Jesus is even saying he wished that they were unbelievers compared to the kind of believers they claim to be. But I, I was unsettled because Scripture says he doesn't wish for any to perish, but that all would come to repentance. So I can't think of Jesus wishing somebody would rather be unbelievers than like that. But when you study the geography of where Laodicea was, about 15 miles away from Laodicea was the city of Hierapolis. And then on the other side was the city of Colossae. Hierapolis was really famous for its mineral medicinal hot springs. 
That when you went to Hierapolis, what, you, what it was famous for was you would get down in the hot springs if you were sick or had pain or had ailments and you would soak in the hot springs and the mineral bath would help you feel better. That it was healing, it was medicinal. So Hierapolis was famous for the hot springs. On the other side of Laodicea, you had Colossae. Colossae was famous for its freshwater cold springs that came straight out of the mountain. It was famous for the high quality of its drinking water. It was delicious. It was right there. It didn't have to be run through an aqueduct or anything. This city was famous for its cold water. Meanwhile, in Laodicea, smack in the middle, Laodicea, it was wealthy, it was rich. We'll talk about that in a minute. It actually got decimated by an, by an earthquake at one point, and it didn't even need assistance from the empire to rebuild itself. There was enough money and enough resources that it actually got the nickname of the city that rebuilt itself. But it had disgusting drinking water. It had to be brought in by an aqueduct. And they actually did excavations on the aqueduct and found that there were caked up mineral deposits in the aqueduct. So you're getting the same mineral water that was amazing in Hierapolis because it was hot and it was in the hot spring and you'd soak in it. But by the time it got to Laodicea, you had all of the minerals, but none of the heat. And it was disgusting. And would if you weren't if you didn't get used to it, it would almost make you, you know, gag when you drank it because it had such a disgusting flavor. So Jesus looks at this church in Laodicea and says, "You're not a hot spring that heals people when they come to you. You're not a cold freshwater spring that refreshes them when they come into contact to you." Laodicea, what you've become is this lukewarm church that's got all the minerals that could heal somebody in it, but none of the heat. You don't have any of the coolness that refreshes anybody. So when people come into contact with you, you don't do my name justice, you make them gag. You neither heal nor refresh. That's Jesus' problem with Laodicea. It all boils down, <laughs> boils. It all boils down to what effect, Laodicea, are you having on your community, on people that come into contact with you? That you are the keepers of the gospel in Laodicea. That a church is full, should be full, of people who know Jesus Christ who have come to him and, and they have the story, man, my sins were forgiven. I was this kind of person. I, 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 I was into this and this and this and this and this. And I was so far from God until one day he came to me and, and the Holy Spirit convicted me of my sin and said, you know what, as it is, you're apart from God, but you can come to Jesus who died for you and you can be saved. You can be made new and you can be forgiven and you can have a relationship with God and you can be in his love instead of his wrath and his mercy instead of his anger that they should be hyped up about that, right? That there should be grace and joy and healing and mercy in that church and instead what people find when they walked in is either angry judgmental people who are not healing at all or tepid, lukewarm people who have no encouragement and no refreshment for them when they walk in the door. 
And Jesus says, that makes me so sick that it makes me want to vomit you out the same way that you want to vomit your water out, Laodicea. So here's, here's your application question. Are we as a church a place where people can come to heal? Are you as an individual Christian, are you someone that someone can come to to be healed? Not necessarily physically. I'm not saying lay hands on them and, and, and heal their physical ailments. I'm saying, are you someone that, that your presence, your love for Jesus, your relationship with Him can, can provide healing to someone else when you talk to them? That you have something to offer them that can be a balm to their soul? Are we a place where people can come to be refreshed? Are you individually, because of your relationship with Christ, a refreshing person? I'll say it until the cows come home. Christians ought to be, not all the time, but in general, happy, joyful people. Now, I am not, when I say that, I am not glossing over that there is such a thing as pain in the world, there is such a thing as heartache in the world. I'm not glossing over people who battle with depression. That is a real thing, okay? I'm not glossing over that. But I'm saying when we sing, it is well with my soul. Y'all, that second verse, my sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. That, 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 that's like a theme song for us. That, that ought to bring you joy. That ought to bring you happiness. But if someone says, oh, well, how is church Sunday? Eh. It's church. Did the same thing we always do. Sat with the same people I always sit by. We went to eat afterward. Man, we went there. We went and got. We we went. Ate. There's more excitement about where you went to eat afterward. I know y'all ain't never done that. Nobody has ever done that. <clears throat> Isn't it counterproductive to invite somebody to church and we say, "Man, I'd love for you to come to church." Well, tell me about it. It's all right. No, who wants that? But when you're there for somebody when they're hurting, when you're there for somebody when they need refreshing, listen to what Isaiah 42 says about Jesus. He says, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights, I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out nor raise his voice nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. Have any of y'all ever come to church as a bruised reed? Somebody who's hurt? Somebody who really just needs somebody to help them dust themselves off and stand back up? Here's how you don't break a bruised reed. When somebody comes in and says, I'm here because my life is in shambles. What you do is you kneel down with them and you help pick them up and say, I've been there. What you do is you don't kneel down and say, well, that's because of your sin, sweetie. 
this is your fault. So repent and do better and it might not happen again. What's sad is that there are some folks who think about brokenness that way. Yeah, you're suffering all right. It's because you're a dirty, rotten sinner. You know what? So is your pastor. And so are your deacons. And your Sunday school teachers. Every single one of us. But this place is a place for healing. How do I know? Because Jesus healed me. Jesus healed everybody else in here who knows Him too. This is a place of refreshing. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 He says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Y'all, Christianity should not be a burden to you. It should not be a heavy load on your back. If you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress, when Christian meets Jesus, the first thing that happens is the burden falls off of his back. Oh my gosh, Christianity is such hard work. Well, sometimes. But do you know what's a lot harder than faith in Jesus? Not having faith in Jesus. That's a lot harder. It's a lot tougher. That Jesus is gentle and lowly in heart, and in Him you find rest for your souls. That if your quote-unquote faith in Jesus is not refreshing to you and to others, then I would ask you to reevaluate. Is what you have faith in Jesus? Because Jesus says you find rest in Him. That He is gentle. He is lowly in heart. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. He does not break bruised reeds. He does not put out smoking flax. That it is the weak and the broken and the downtrodden that should run to Jesus first. That y'all, we're here for broken people. That's what Jesus put us here for. To encourage them, to love them, to point them to Him who loves them and encourages them the most. To point them to Him who can save them, who gave His life to save them. Who loves them and cares more about them than anybody else. That we ought to be that church. That this lukewarm attitude where we provide neither... And and this is not accusatory, I'm just saying this is something to be looking out for. That it's easy... To become lukewarm. You can start out hot. You can start out cold. But if you sit there and you don't maintain it. Everything moves toward the middle eventually doesn't it? Lukewarm Christianity is unpleasant. And I put Matthew 5.13 on there to say you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor. How shall it be seasoned? It's then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. If you're not having an effect on the people around you or the community around us, because of your faith in Jesus Christ, you're like salt that's lost its saltiness. That there's no flavor, there's no benefit 
added to it. And you know what salt that's lost its saltiness is called? Dirt. I mean, that's not really what it's called, but that's most what it's like. It's just grainy dirt. So, a lukewarm Christian is unpleasant. Lukewarm Christianity is unpleasant. It neither heals nor refreshes. And I don't want us to be that, neither does Jesus. Second, lukewarm Christianity is unhelpful. Uh, Look at what Jesus says, starting in verse 17. He says, Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Okay, so we've got two different evaluations of the health of the church at Laodicea. That we've got the Laodiceans' evaluation of themselves, where they say, I'm rich, I've become wealthy, and have need of nothing. And then we've got Jesus' evaluation, where he says, uh, you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Now, in Jesus' evaluation of them, you can't see it in English, but there's actually a function uh, before wretched in Greek where uh, there's an article included. Um, An article being in English things like uh, a, an, the. Um, So you've got a or an are indefinite articles that I can say a microphone, and it might mean this microphone, it might mean any other microphone there is, or I can say the microphone, and it means a specific one. I could say the microphone or this microphone, and now I'm talking specifically about this one. Well, in Greek, sometimes what you can do is you can emphasize a rank or priority of something by taking a generic word and putting the on it. So if I said theos in Greek, I could just be saying a God. But if I said hotheos, I mean the God. These specific ones. Jesus doesn't just say you are wretched. A wretched church. He says you are the wretched church. Oh my goodness. That the way Jesus said it is, you think you're rich, wealthy, and you need nothing, but the fact of the matter is, Laodicea, you are the wretched church of all wretched churches. Perk your ears up. He says, you are wretched. So Laodicea may not have had hot springs, and they may not have had ice-cold artesian wells coming out of the mountain, but they did have a lot of another thing. They had a lot of this. They had a lot of money. The economy in Laodicea was booming. Um, We've already mentioned that they had enough money and resources that they rebuilt themselves after an earthquake. They didn't even need... Roman help. Um, some of the city's money came from uh, <clears throat> uh, one. They had a, a large textile industry that they, that they made a lot of. They're kind of like, kind of like, is that Dalton up in North Georgia that does all the carpet? It's kind of like that. Laodicea. They had a huge textile industry, and they also had a big kind of like Augusta. They had a, a a large group of medicinal practitioners in Laodicea, and they were quite famous for ISAF. Were ophthalmologists, ancient ophthalmologists, and they exported a lot of that. So they've got a lot of money coming in from these business deals. So listen to what Jesus says to them. He tells Laodicea, your situation is not nearly as good as you think it is. So let me give you a solution. <clears throat> First, he says, I counsel you to buy gold from me. 
refined in the fire so that you may be rich. He says, you got your money. But that money's not helping you. What you really need is riches from me. And then he says, and white garments. In other words, get white garments for me that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. Textiles. Something they're used to, right? Something that they feel like they know that they've got a handle on. And then he says, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Jesus, we're eye doctors. We've got more eye salve than we know what to do with. And Jesus is like, well, you're right. You don't know what to do with it. What's the problem here? He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. This is a hard pill to swallow, but Jesus said it because he loved them. What was Laodicea's problem? This was at the root of everything. This is why they were lukewarm. This is why they had no spiritual power. This is why they were not healing. This is why they were not being refreshing. It's because they thought they had all the resources they needed to accomplish the kingdom work on their own. Jesus, we don't need your resources. We've got our own. We didn't even have to call Rome to help us rebuild when the, tor- when the earthquake knocked us over. We did that on our own. Jesus, we can clothe ourselves. We don't need to worry about you providing for us. We make the linen. Jesus, we can see. We don't even need to sing, sing that verse of amazing grace. I once was blind, but now I see because people come to us to regain their sight. We don't need you. We're not blind. And Jesus says, yes, you are. You're poor, wretched, miserable, naked, and blind because everything you have, you think you got yourself. You didn't get it from me. Listen to what Jesus says in John 15, verses 4 through 5. He says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Do you know as a church, it is possible for us to spin our wheels for decades trying to reach this community in our own power. That as your pastor, something that is convicting me right now, this very second, is anytime I say, I wish we could do this for Jesus, but we don't have the resources, I've already fallen into the lay of the sea and trap. Because you know what? The Laodiceans were rich. As far as physical resources went, they had everything in the world they could possibly need. And do you know what Jesus said? You're broke, naked, and blind. You don't have anything. Because as much as you have in physical resources on this earth, you are not asking me for anything. Stapleton, are we asking Jesus for power to reach folks? Men, women, boys, girls, folks here, when it comes to spiritual growth, when it comes to God doing things in your life, what's your your mode of operation there? 
Are you trying to knuckle down and work hard and try your best in saying, Jesus, I got this if you'll just help me out a little bit? Or are you saying, Jesus, I am uh, wretched, poor, miserable, naked, and blind, Jesus, unless you do this for me? We don't generally like, I, I guess it's part of our culture, we don't generally like asking for help, that it's laudable to say, I can handle it myself. But all Jesus did, his entire ministry, was to say, come to me, come to me, come to me, come to me. Stop trying to do it yourself. Come to me, come to me, come to me. The more we try and do it on our own, the more time we're wasting. That Jesus doesn't intend us to do it on our own. It was never designed that way. You say, I'm working hard. I'm going to do this. Y'all, what I'm about to say is bad grammar, but it's good theology. You ain't going to do nothing. You're not. Christianity is not a religion that says if you work hard. Have you ever heard somebody quote the scripture that says God helps those who hate or God helps those who help themselves? Yep, that's not scripture. That's not in the Bible. The Bible doesn't say God helps those who help themselves. God says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, come to me. Every other religion in the world says, do, 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 do. Christianity is the only one that says, done. Jesus has done everything for you. And we'll do everything for this church. Well, Josh, are you just telling me to sit on my pew and, you know, Jesus is going to handle... Well, no, Jesus is going to do it through you, but I promise you, you won't be white-knuckling it at that point. There are going to be days when you're tired. There are going to be days when you're wore out. But at that point, you're not running on your strength, are you? You're not running on your desire, are you? You're running on Jesus's. Jesus will give you your want to. So if, if, if you're sitting there wondering, well, why don't I have <clears throat> this desire in myself to serve more? Why don't I have this desire in myself to reach out more? Well, it's because that desire was never in yourself to begin with. It belongs to Jesus. Pray and say, Jesus, make me the man, woman, boy, girl that you want me to be. Jesus, give me the grace to serve. Give me the strength to keep going. Give me a vision for what you would have me do in, in this body, in this church, in this community, in my family, in my school. Jesus, give me power to do it, and he will. The second you stop trying to do it out of your own resources and start working with His. So lukewarm Christianity is unhelpful. It ain't going to get anything done. And finally, lukewarm Christianity is actually unchristian. Look at verse 20. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. This is one of those verses that's dangerous because you can have read it so many times that you don't actually read it. Have y'all ever done that with the Bible? Where you got parts of the Bible that you read so many times that you just kind of gloss over it and you say, hey, I've read that before. I know what it says. Stop and think about this verse for a second. Think about it. Don't think about it so much in terms of Jesus right now. Think about it in terms of your house. Okay? If somebody comes to your house and knocks on your door, where are they? So where is Jesus relating to the Laodicean church? He's outside. Everybody's inside the church except for Jesus. Do you know what you call a church without Jesus in it? Not a church. Now Jesus is not saying these folks are lost. What Jesus is saying is you've got so wrapped up in doing things your way that you've forgotten to, you know, include God. That this is now a social club. Jesus is saying, I'm standing outside this door and knocking. I've told you to be zealous and repent. What being zealous and repenting looks like is walking back there to the door and letting Jesus back in your church. Or maybe letting Jesus in your life. That, no, God, I got this. I got this. I'm working hard. I know that I got these things right here that I need to either start doing or stop doing. And Jesus, I got me a plan. I got me a, 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 a battle plan. I got me a checklist that I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do these things tomorrow. I'm going to stop doing these things tomorrow. And about the time I get everything straightened out, then I'll call you and I'll say, I got it all straightened out. Now let me in. And Jesus is saying, you got it all backwards. What happens is you actually go back to the door and you let me in and then I'll straighten everything out. Stapleton, Laodicea, wherever, it should be a daily... Court. Now, I'm not talking about salvation when I say this. Okay? We'll talk about that in a minute. Christians should ask themselves daily... Am I, am I letting Jesus call the shots? Or is he on the outside knocking wondering why I won't let him in? Sometimes we think we have a better idea of how to follow Jesus than Jesus. And that's not good. So Christians, your application ought to be asking, am I, am I letting him come in the door here? Am I letting him run the show? Am I actually letting him speak and, and, and tell me what to do here? Uh, <clears throat> now let's talk to you who maybe haven't ever given your life to Christ now. Jesus also says, To him who overcomes, I grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The way one overcomes is by faith in Christ. Overcomes what? Overcomes one, your own sin overcomes the rest of the world who hates Jesus, overcomes the devil, overcomes death. How does one do that? 1 John 5, verses 4 through 5, whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. For those of you who don't know Jesus Christ, if you want to be an overcomer, get to know Jesus Christ. 
That the whole reason God has given you grace to be in this room today is to hear this pastor tell you that Jesus loves you and died for you and wants to save you. And all you have to do, man, he's knocking on your door right now. All you got to do is open up and let him in. In a few minutes, I'm going to step here and I'm going to call you and give you an opportunity to do that. For those of you who are Christians, listen to what John 13, 8 says. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. There way too many Christians want to say, no, Jesus, we're, we don't, we, you don't need to get involved with this. We got it. Jesus says, if, I, if you don't give it to me, you ain't got nothing. If you don't give it to me, it's not going to be a success. If you don't give it to me, you're never going to reach that child. If you don't give it to me, you're never going to reach that son, that daughter, that brother, that sister, that mom, that dad. You're never going to reach that community. You're never going to reach that school. You're never going to break through if you don't trust me to do it. So Stapleton, I'm going to go ahead and tell you as a pastor, my plan for reaching folks is to, to, to trust Jesus to give this church power to do it. Come with it's going to be a fun but bumpy ride. For those of you who don't know Jesus, this is your opportunity to give your life to Him. If you don't know what it means to be a Christian, uh, Miss Joyce and Mr. Jim are going to come lead us in a couple verses of an invitation song. Um, coming down this aisle is not what's going to save you. Um, it's not what's going to give you a relationship with Jesus. Uh, talking to Jesus and, and asking to forgive you is. I just want to help you walk through that. So you can come in the aisle and talk to me if you want to do that and say, Pastor, I need to know Jesus. Um, if, that, if that freaks you out a little bit, then you can tear off the side, uh, side card of your bulletin. Put that in the offering plate when it comes by. I will follow up with you. Or if you miss that too and the Holy Spirit's still working on you, uh, don't leave. Uh, <coughs> get the back door on the way out and say, Pastor, I need to talk to you about knowing Jesus. Um, I just don't want you to leave without having that opportunity. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing if you need to come. You come. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity to, to get together and open your word. Lord, I pray that Stapleton would never be a lukewarm church depending on our own resources and power and therefore never being healing and never being refreshing and keeping you at arm's length outside the door and not even in the church that's your property. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a powerful, vital church that stays attached to the vine and bears fruit. Lord, I pray... For the Christians that are in here, Lord, that each of us as individuals would be that way, that we would be attached to the vine bearing fruit. Lord, for those that are in here today who may not know you, um, Lord, who've never trusted you, never given their life to you, Lord, I pray that you would convict them right now and you would tell them that your yoke is easy and your burden is light, that you are gentle and lowly in heart and they can come to you and find rest. Lord, I pray that you'd move in them to come find their rest in you this morning. We as a church would love to see them be saved. Um, so, Jesus, uh, you do what you intend to do, and we'll be here to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.